Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the digital workspace inner workings. Welcome, Tom, back to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. Do you want to introduce everyone to yourself and your new venture? Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, really excited to be on and catch up. So uh, I think we spoke about this previously briefly, but I'm running a company called Empowering Cloud. We're focused on Microsoft Teams, modern work, and it's spanning a whole bunch of community work and then some premium offers for Microsoft partners and for ISVs, OEMs who want to get deeper into the space, basically. Great. And... Um, we talked about uh, the community-driven approach. How have you found that the sort of adoption of, of, of people coming to the community and, and and your plans for next year? Yeah, that, that's super important to me. So so the whole point of this was really to be community first because I don't think the, the speed of this cloud world, you can't keep up on your own. It is a community effort. And I've always done a lot in the community. So um, uh, at the moment, we have about 3,500 people signed up, which is really, really good. It's still a fraction of kind of the stuff I do on LinkedIn, the stuff I do with my email list, but it's it's, it's engagement that I'm really looking for. The, the, the big numbers are great for marketing, but the reality is, are we delivering value to people? Uh, and we've had 24 subject matter experts, MVPs, MCMs, people from the industry doing these 15-minute briefings, and they're all contributing those to the community. So that's a really big one for me is people are giving up their time and expertise to share with the community. And that's the plan is to keep building that out. We're adding a, a forum capacity at the moment where we'll have more direct engagement between people as well, which we think is really good value. Um, but yeah, early days, we're, we're just coming up to a year. So for, for a year in terms of where we started to where we are now, I'm really pleased. And is that community, does it have like a tiering thing, like a free level and a paid level of that, or is your sponsors paying for the yeah, the, the kind of the model is 90% sponsor-backed free content. So that that's the thing we really want to be like, not just lip service to community, but actually deliver loads of value there. But there is a tier where Microsoft partners or vendors can pay us uh, anywhere from about 500 to 1,000 pounds a month, depending on headcount, to get learning paths, certificates, office hours with me and the team, ask their own private questions. So no hard sell there. But for those who want to take their entire team, for example, pre-sales teams is a very common one. They want to get them up to speed. They want to know what's going on in Microsoft Teams and they want to stay up to date. We can put them on learning paths and the system will proactively push them video content via email or via bot message, all sort of 15 minute or less short snappy content. And that's been really popular with partners who are struggling to keep up just, just the same as we all are. Yeah, no, exactly. And you say system, have you built something? Yeah, up. yeah. So I work with an, a fellow MVP, Tom Morgan, who does all the clever stuff. So I can't take any credit for it. But yeah, we looked at various learning management systems and we couldn't find anything that quite fit the bill of what we wanted. So we've built a platform on Azure. I mean, we're using various component parts. So we use Auth0 for authentication, we're using Wistia for video hosting, we're using Intercom for some of the communications. Uh, and, and we pull all those pieces together and that creates a platform where we have ultimate control over the user experience. So we can, for example, be very granular about who gets access to which content we can see we have power bi reporting built in so we can see who's engaged what they're engaged with and that's really useful to say are we delivering value but we also have research papers that we build in on power bi so things like 
teams bar comparisons, operator comparisons, uh, and we couldn't find anything that would do that kind of, you know, how many LMSs let you embed Power BI? Well, none because it's very niche use case. So, so we ended up rolling our own. It's been it's been hard work. You know, development is never as well. Anybody who does it knows that it's always always more than you think it is. But I'm really glad we own our destiny in terms of the platform. Yeah, yeah, that's important. I hear what you're saying. I mean, we we ended up uh, building something ourselves now, just because there's there's lots of nice tools that do nice things, but you find that the integration between those different tools to each other using something like Zapier or whatever it is will always be limited. It, it, it is, yeah, yeah, and you're 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 depending on your use case. You know, if you're doing a very generic course, lots of these platforms are built for more B two C scenarios as well. So we want you know high security with all zero. We want Office three six five login. We want LinkedIn login. No LMSs care about LinkedIn login because it's not a use case for them. And the, yeah, the, the things like the Power BI and the Azure stuff. And now I'm I'm super excited because we're starting to play with the AI engines in Azure. Now this is a way out. But we have all this information from the subject matter experts. We have all the transcripts. We have all the content. In theory, we can run an AI engine over that and have a, a, a dedicated data set to start answering questions with a bot. So early days, we're still playing with that. But I'm really excited about the potential of this evergreen knowledge being more accessible to people. Yeah, it's, it's uh, that, that, that boat, uh, what's that, that analogy? Um, all waters float or boats or higher waters float or boats. It just feels like there's always something pushing everything up and up and up, and your your barrier to entry to do something is getting lower and lower. But you, yeah, you know what's going on, you get drowned. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because like every, everybody's everybody's potential is going up, but everybody's expectations are going up as well. So um, you've got to keep up. But yeah, we couldn't have done. I mean, anything like this even five years ago in terms of the maturity of the cloud platforms we're building on and the the level, the amount of development you can do. I mean, Tom's, you know, leading all this from a development point of view. It would have been a team of people, but because we're leveraging cloud services and loads of Azure stuff, you know, you you just plug it all together, really, which is probably doing a slight disservice. But, you know, it's a, it, it, if you had to build all of this from absolute scratch, it would be a massive project. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So we were chatting a little bit before we started around Copilot. And I was curious to get your thoughts on that and where it was going. Uh, yeah, there's, there's mad excitement around Copilot at the moment. Obviously, Microsoft are riding the AI hype train like absolute pros in terms of everything is Copilot. There's Copilot in Windows, there's Copilot in M365, there's Copilot in GitHub, Copilot in security. Um, I mean, it's always becoming a bit of a meme now in terms of everything has Copilot. Uh, there's not there's not been a lot of hands-on outside of Microsoft. They have a couple of hundred customers field testing it. So in terms of hands-on, like I've I've had hands-on with some of the team's premium stuff, which is AI-driven but not Copilot. Um, but just to be clear, I haven't had hands-on, but lots of my Microsoft friends have. And obviously, I've done a lot in ChatGPT, OpenAI. Like I, I've been using the tools outside, which essentially is the same type of experience. Uh, I'm really excited about it. Like Microsoft people have really good feedback. We, we're yet to see how Microsoft price it, which is always going to be interesting. But the potential of all the knowledge you have in M365, your documents, your emails, your meetings, your meeting transcripts, being able to say to AI, oh, remind me, what have I caught up with last on Ryan? It could span our chat, our email, and our previous meetings. Like That is so, so powerful and, and, and just a massive productivity boost. I'm really excited for it. Yeah. I mean, as you as you've said, I mean, I've used ChatGPT a lot. I mean, it's part of my workflow now. You know, and, and about the the sort of drowning thing, I think there's so many people that are not in sync with us that they are going to drown when it catches up with them. 
Uh, yeah, and it's difficult with AI as well because it's it's flawed at the moment. Like it's not perfect. It's eighty percent of the way there, and under, like like non technical people understanding that might be tough because it's like well either it works or it doesn't it's like well no it kind of helps you um but you can't trust it 100 percent. you need to vet it it's like well like it, it, like that, that kind of gray area of the whole hallucinations and imperfectness of it i think yeah. like your, your typical user is going to struggle with that and i think we'll see a lot of unfortunately people generating stuff out of you know generative ai not even reviewing it and just posting it you know take my word don't make it into a powerpoint i'll throw out to my boss and like, you haven't checked does it actually make sense yeah no I, well i've seen that we had, we had a guy working for us he's and he's i mean he sent it to us and he's like, oh, I wrote this doc last night and, you know, it took me all night. Da, da, da. And I was like, uh, you do realize that some of these sentences are like not even sensible. Yeah. Like, they're, they're right. The, the sentence makes sense on its own, but like the paragraph doesn't make any sense. Like, did you generate? Yeah. It? He said, yeah, okay. You know, I, you know <laughs> whatever it was. Well, like, yeah, what? Where I have found it super valuable, we take our briefing videos and we run it through for summary. So we take a 15 minute video transcript. And that is amazing because we used to do that manually and it took ages and it will yeah. give you bulleted summary. Again, you have to tune it. You have to watch the video, but it will get you, I'd say, 80 percent, 70 percent of the way there, which is a huge, huge time saving. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I go back to our sort of automation challenges. So I was trying to do something with Otto where it will transcri- transcribe the, the meeting. But then I want to run that through ChatGDP to give me the summary and the bullet points mm. and actions because Otto doesn't do that part very well. No, uh, there's quite there's quite a few tools coming in in that space. So um, audio codes have one for Teams. Like there's one called Crisp AI, which was a noise suppression app that now does AI summaries. Gong in the sales space, and they're all trying to take meeting content and provide you minutes actions. So I think that'll get better over time. Uh, but it's it, it, it's going to become the norm. Like at some point in the future, we'll just be like, well, obviously meetings generate action lists and summaries. Like you don't do that. The tech does that for you. Yeah. Now my dream, which I mentioned in one of my other episodes, is that while you're having the meeting and you're discussing like we need to research this thing, the AI has picked up on that. It's already done the research. And, and before you finish the meeting, it's already told you what the yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing, the thing that I'm really excited about is it could be like the, a really good PM sidekick. Like people always commit to things in meetings, and then you have the next meeting, and they they don't commit again. Like being able to get a list of actions, put it into a planning app, like follow up before the next meeting to be like you committed to this last meeting. The next meeting's in three days. Like that that thing that good PMs do really really well. Could a lot of that could be assisted by ai and we're not going to get that thing where we just have loads and loads of meetings saying the same thing because they'll just be like well the same action list as last time yeah and and the um i mean there the, the, is that thing already inside of uh exchange or office 365 where if you've certain emails where you might have read said something or commented on something it'll come back and say did you remember to reply to this email? yes Ask yeah. or something like that. So there's, yeah, yeah, that that's the technology starting to come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll see it on LinkedIn as well. It'll be like, um, you, you know, you 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 said this three days ago. Do you need to reply? That kind of thing. Like that, that's very early use cases of that AI trying to pick out actions and commitments and timings. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's exciting. Um, if if you had to sort of, I mean, we, I mean, do you have a feel that some of the stuff will be included in the Microsoft pricing, or do you think they're going to charge? Oh. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have any insider knowledge, nothing public, but it'll be extra for sure. Like the way they're positioning it, it's not going to be bundled. And, and, and the, there's a couple of clear reasons for that. One is this is very computationally expensive. So Microsoft need to pay for that compute. They've just dropped, you know, 10 billion into OpenAI. That's not 
charity work for them they're looking to make a profit at some point um but also like they're, they're that they've bundled so much value into office 365 m365 365 over the time they're now looking to add revenue so you look at things like teams premium it's an extra skew that some of the you know teams phone teams rooms they're upselling things there they will want to upsell this and i'm paying for a few different ai tools at the moment like there's there's obvious demonstrable value there if you're saving somebody even half an hour a month an hour a month you can start to justify a number for what that saves you um, if you start to think about how ai could span departments and give you insights like you know things like viva sales or contact center you're talking about really big value there so yeah there'll, there'll be a cost to this i'm not sure what the model will be yet but we'll probably find out it's microsoft's end of fy this coming up and then july is their new fy so we'll start to see the targets and the objectives in july yeah i wonder if they're not going to because one of the things i have seen obviously there's a lot of gpus shortages on yes the and I wonder if that's, what, that's why Nvidia is now worth a trillion dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I wouldn't. I, I would. I wouldn't be surprised if Microsoft comes out with an acquisition in that in that space. Um, yeah. yeah, potentially. I mean, it'd be very. It'll be a very hotly contended space because you, you look at Nvidia are, are running the show there. AMD have done a lot of work there. Intel are being caught pretty flat-footed. But like, I mean, you can't buy an NVIDIA or an AMD necessarily without a really big checkbook. And do, do you want to? Um, the other thing that I think would come up really fast is the anti-competitiveness. It's all very clear. AI is going to be the future of a lot of things. Do do they want a chipset vendor living with a Google or an Amazon or a Microsoft? Um, I think that would be a challenge to get through the um, competition commissions, to be honest. Yeah, uh, well, I, when I say acquisition, I was thinking of a big player, but maybe a small player, very much like what Apple did when they started their chip stuff again. They bought a couple of small companies. Oh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe some augmentation. Like, and obviously, Microsoft have a bit of a hardware history with Xbox and with some of their devices, so they're not total strangers to hardware. Um, Apple's yeah. the interesting one. I wonder what – there hasn't been a lot from them yet, but they're doing some pretty amazing things in the – processor space with their m chips like at some point there'll be some cool stuff coming from them in this space as well have you had a look at their headset That's uh I, I, only the press releases obviously but um yeah interesting i mean very high price point which immediately niches it out to the to the very high end um i, I love the fact that they've you know like got the whole you, know, you don't need glasses you put lenses in it type thing but um i mean gen gen one of anything like this will be the get one to market so we'll see see how it how it lands uh, but i think it's interesting that that kind of technology has been around you know microsoft had hololens google had glass what apple are very good at doing is not being first but then doing a really crafted experience and i suspect that'll be them again they'll be like it will be slick um, it will have consumer applications, so it will definitely move the market forward. But I think that whole meta uh, augmented reality thing has taken a backseat to AI for most people at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the AR VR use cases are still there, and I, and I think they'll be solved. But knowing, I think the AI stuff is far more interesting, and I think it hits more people. Yeah. You know, you know if you think about being a PowerPoint monkey or the Excel spreadsheets you had to do, you know, that kind of stuff. That if you can just Awesome. Yeah, that, that's that, that's most like it's it's most knowledge workers get a benefit, don't they? Whereas there's only a subset of people that will want to wear a headset and and do that thing. Yeah, exactly. And and I, if I look at you know just from sort of the the that use case of we're having the meeting, we're discussing something, and the AI is already doing it. 
the, the other piece to that is what you mentioned around the sort of business process improvement pieces. So, you know, you're writing a document, you're writing the gist of the document, that gets generated into a full document or some, or don't even forget that, just summarized to a, to a succinct way that everyone can understand it, multi-language, you know, that kind of stuff. So that that's the huge value piece. And then that changes your conversation with, with using translation services, with using, with using legal services, you know, tax and all that kind of stuff. The space that I think is going to get disrupted the quickest is um, contact center or kind of customer contact. Because it's really interesting. It's such an obvious use case for AI, which is you as a customer are trying to get a problem solved like 50, 60, 70% of the time. It's the same type of question, you know, open hours, bank balance, whatever it is. It's perfect for AI to solve those problems. And it's human-wise, it's expensive. And that the bar of quality there is challenging in terms of user experience. Like it's not difficult for AI to be a better experience than your typical human agent. So I think that'll get disrupted really heavily. But also contact center vendors typically charge $150, you know, $120 a seat. How does the AI bring a lot of the cost out of that? Do, do, do they try and charge for a virtual agent? Do they charge for resolution? Uh, it's really interesting. But I think it, it, you look uh, industries that are going to disrupted quickly, that will be one of them. Someone will come up with an AI that can answer 50% of the questions that sits in front of the people and it starts to answer them, be that chat, be that voice. And that's an immediate saving to the organization and probably a customer sat improvement as well. Yeah, and I, and I don't think you necessarily lose the, the person in that process, but if they can answer 50% of the questions and, and do it via an easy interface, whatever that is. But then when when you don't get your answers to those questions and you talk to an agent, that agent's got more time. Yeah, the agent will become a high school job, not a low school job. It will be like these people are the problem solvers. Like they're, they're the people that can help customers when the technology can't help them. So you'll need less of those people, but they'll be absolutely higher skilled. And also part of that team or that role will be putting content back into the engine to solve it for next time. So like, oh, this is how I solve that problem. So the AI gets better and better. So yeah, I, 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 human humans in that scenario don't go away, but they do get radically reduced numbers wise. And that's been happening already with chatbots and things like that. But I think the fact that this can be done with voice will will take it to the next level. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of those those AIs do a very good voice synthesization. Yeah. Uh, You'd say. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we were doing some some demo stuff about a year ago, and uh, none of us wanted to do the the voiceover for the demo. And one of the guys just wrote a script and he put it through an AI, and it, it generated a nice. I think it was an American female voice or an Australian. Uh, it wasn't Australian. It was I think it was an American female. Yeah. And and it was it was great, and it, it was a bit of a joke for those tech, you know, the Star Trek people, but it, it used contractions, which you know, data data couldn't do during next generation. <laughs> um, but it was good. I was. It was. It was hugely impressive because, you know, there was no stuttering. It it was nicely spaced, so there was yeah. no it didn't rush. You know, that kind of stuff is was, was great. There's a tool we use at Empowering Cloud for editing. It's called Descript, and it takes a video and it transcribes it to text, and you can then edit the text, and that edits the video. So you can take out filler words. So it's amazing, but it also has a text-to-speech that you train on your voice, and you can type, and it will do it in your voice. So, and and if you put time into training that, it's really good. Like for things like you know, you make a, you say it should do this rather than it shouldn't do this. You can literally just type the replacement, and it will fill it. It's it's pretty impressive. Wow, I didn't know that. But that, that does line up with something else that I heard Apple was doing where you could record your voice through Apple to preserve it. Like, oh, interesting. I didn't see that. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I heard that. But basically, there's like 15 very odd 
snippet of, t- of, of things you've got to say and then you can use that I suppose you can use the voice to to speak to somebody else I guess the and, and, and obviously as you get older your voice changes so you, you could always you know re- re- record it for prosecution um, yeah and, and nuance do that for um, security so you can do bank passwords and a factor is recognizing your voice so like there's there's, there's lots of use cases for that voice signature yeah we, we were doing it uh, for password resets. Um, and then I think one of the medical aid companies, I think it's Discovery in South Africa, you can short circuit the whole IVRQ if it's got your voice record in place. Right. And that's a huge value because yeah. going through the stupid IVR systems is, is I'm painful. curious now with that that voice recognition, how good the AI is as to whether the that will become a problem now because you can the technology is becoming readily accessible to dupe somebody's voice. Obviously, training those engines you have to have a large sample set so for your typical person not a problem but maybe for you or i that have hours of content lying out there it might be a problem <laughs> well yeah i mean you, i don't know if you saw there was that one influencer she uh she used an ai to um to do this and she was charging something like uh I don't know, some, some some dollar value per minute and she made like 70 grand and of course because because it's an ai she wasn't doing the the interaction with the people yeah uh, my expectation is that it went down a pretty sordid route, but you know. Yeah, I've got, I've got a theory on this as well, which is that like content generation is going to get easier. So you're going to get all these crappy blogs of like marketing people saying top ten teams tips, bang that on the website, job done. Um, and I think people are going to come back to personalities that they follow rather than content they follow. So it won't be, yeah. you know, you read X Y Z magazine or X Y Z blog. It's you read ryan's post because you know him and you know his opinion so i think there'll be a resurgence of people looking for individuals for information rather than generically googling it because all the top hits are going to be ai gend you know perfect articles but no opinion no no substance just heavily crafted wording yeah uh and, that, and that's that, that is the vicious circle because you if you go and ask chat now to go and give you a, an seo generated article it's going to be giving you basic. It's going to be doing that for a whole lot of people. So everyone's going to yeah. have the same articles at the top. So it's really going to be probably the time that you publish it gets you to the top versus the the SEO confidence level. Let's call it or ranking. Yeah. Um, so I can believe that. I could I could see YouTube and live streams and and Twitch and all those things becoming more more watched because people want the real. Yeah, thing. they want they want to hear from that person. They want to hear something real, not something generated. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and I do wonder about, you know, are there are there hidden tags within the the generated stuff, you know, specifically voice or image, where you can tell if it's generated or not? Yeah, there've been there's been governmental talk about do we need to force the technology companies to do that? I don't know if there are or not, but um, there there are there are recognition things that you can run text through backwards to say does it feel generated or not, um, but they seem to be you know hit and miss. Yeah. Even if the government enforced that, the, the technology is out there now and widely available. The people, the bad actors will, will use variants of stuff that doesn't do it. So I feel like that ship has sailed. But on, on the other hand, as it gets right now, you can recognize, you know, someone does one of those video generated talking heads. It's the the head keeps like moving like this, you know, in a constant circle to make it feel real or whatever. But that will all go away and it will become much more engaging. It does does beg the question, like, do we need to have to flag that this is AI generated? Yeah, because I think people don't realize this, but if you're using generative AI, all that content that you've got is not is, is not yours. It's copyrighted already from the source. 
where it was generated from uh, or, or something to that effect, or the engine that generated it gets the – doesn't own it, but, but it's, it's, it's not – you can't really use it. Uh, yeah. You shouldn't be able to, I think. Yeah. Uh, so I think you've always – even though if you generate you've still got to now take that generated content and still make it your own. All it's done is giving you volume. Yeah, but I mean, what's the the problem is what's the definition? Because like, if you use Grammarly to correct your work, I mean that generates suggested sentences. So is that partially generated? It, like, or is that where's the line on what? When does it count as AI generated versus AI assisted versus no AI? Because actually, all your all your word processors spell check now. That's all AI. So is that AI? Like, it's a it's a hard line to define. It's a great point, and I think we're going to see some court cases that will probably set those those boundaries. And I think, unfortunately, like anything, and you mentioned the speed of things progressing, the laws and the and the policies are nowhere near yeah. moving at the same speed. No, so, no. And that, that's a big conversation I'm having with enterprises at the moment, actually, is they're simultaneously excited about AI and really fearful about what if our data gets leaked into it? What if someone, like, what if a lawyer generates a contract partially from AI? Are they accountable for it? Who's account? Like, there's a whole bunch of, uh, alongside the excitement, worries about governance and compliance and risk and and just a general worry that people are going to over lean on it and not be as creative in their roles. Like, you're paying them to come up with a solution if they're just using AI. Who's that good for, really? But it's funny you mentioned that, that lawyer thing. So there was actually a case in the States where a attorney was, I think he's been disbarred because he used ChatGDP to generate part of his case submission, whatever, I don't know the legal terms. Yeah. And um, ChatGDP referenced a few cases that didn't actually exist. <laughs> yeah. Physician picked up on this and said, well, you need to, you know, what happened here? And he said, well, you know, I use ChatGDP. And they said to him, well, you can't, you know, that's basically, I wouldn't say it's fraud, but but you got into a lot of trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a problem, isn't it? Exactly. It's, um, yeah, well, but I mean, the, the genie's out of the bottle now. We we are going to be using this stuff in various ways. We'll find new norms for it. So it's just a case of, it's a, it's a really exciting time to be alive in the sense of, you know, I think, you know, again, we're in, the, we're in the middle of the hype cycle, but this feels materially impactful to most people. So it'll be interesting to see where we are in a few years. Yeah, I mean, un- unlike with AR and VR, where that was a hype cycle that was always going to uh, burn out. Yeah. Uh, I-, I don't think, yeah, I-, I think there's just too much that could happen here. Uh, well, the, the other thing that is that makes me fairly bullish on how impactful it's going to be, if you look at some of the conversations around how fast the compute skill, the compute capability is moving. So to generate ChatGPT 3.5, that data set, on the original compute that they used, it was, I think... Was it 40 million or something like that? The cost to generate that model is a fortune. And in two years, that has dropped to like, uh, you know, a few few hundred K and it will drop down, it will drop down as the compute gets better. So that will make the the, the model creation more commercially accessible to everybody. And you can see this already. It's, it's very real. I think Bloomberg are taking all their data and they're building a model around their data set. So I don't think you'll have one AI to rule them all or maybe, who knows, but, but certainly what you'll have is you'll have the the ai for um all the business questions you've got based on ft and bloomberg and blah 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 and they'll own that piece and you'll have the ai for car parts and there'll be some tool that somebody builds that has every car part model and how you order them and that kind of stuff so rather than seeing this one giant ai that wins the race i think we'll see lots of specialized models which will be exciting 
Yeah, I mean, that, that, that one, one to remove is very much the Skynet or the science fiction view. I mean, I, I, there's a lot of books that I've been reading recently, funny enough, and they were written long before this hype cycle. So it's been interesting to read those and be like, hey, these are actually pretty, pretty accurate <laughs> yeah. trails of what could be happening. And, and, you know, one of those things was deep fakes. Uh, and the other one is is a future where people have gotten so used to AIs doing everything for them, they actually don't know how to do anything. Yeah. And, and you know, that's the reality. I think, you know, a lot of people, uh, if you look at like writing code, for example, if you look at a developer who started writing in C++ or C or, some, or, or something along those those lines, you know, now you get to a .NET C Sharp where so much stuff has been abstracted away. Yes, you have no idea what the hardware is doing. You're just doing the the, the, the code that the code says. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, uh, it's definitely a risk. I think we have to, certainly the next generations, we have to teach them how to use it as a tool, not rely on it. Like, like I see some schools that are trying to, you know, ban it. And I see some schools that are trying to say, okay, this is like Google. Like, we teach our students how to generate a base paper and then they edit it correct it like that's their task um which i think you know with all technologies we know that banning rarely works i think the model is help people understand where it's a tool and how they use it so they don't over rely on it yeah 100 percent. i mean i think the the critical thinking skills the problem solving skills the ability to interpret something and and see if it's right or wrong is is the value uh and I, and I hope we don't go down a route where because now we've got this ability to generate content, then now you get double the amount of assignments or 10 times. Yeah, yeah, because it should take you half the time. <laughs> yeah. You know, but uh, I think that'll time will tell. But I think education generally has to change anyway. I think that's still an okay yeah. of doing things. Um, that's, that's the old factory mindset. Um, I quite so, like Microsoft to give them some credit. This co-pilot branding is a really smart branding, which is not the AI does it for you. It's the AI assists you that they're landing well, that message. And, and it really helps them from a training point of view and a tactical point of view that, you know, this is, you are in control of it, helping you. You are ultimately accountable for it. You are using it as a tool. And that branding is, is, is really spot on for how to position the tool. Yeah. It's genius. And I like to use the word landing just after you see co-pilot, which was, which was awesome. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, no, I think you're right. I, um, I was walking thinking about it yesterday that, that it is the right way to do it because often, and we see it even before, even before AI, someone buys a tool and they expect the tool to solve all their problems automatically, magically. You know, how many times have you heard that I bought this tool and it doesn't do X, Y, and Z? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, the reality we should uh, be looking for is that you've got a tool that helps you get X step ahead with with whatever value it is. and you still have to do, you know, what you Yes, yes. Yeah. Saving you some of the time, not all of the time. <laughs> and we met some guys in Egypt this, this last week, and, we were, and I met a radiologist. Um, and I was just asking him, you know, what are your thoughts on, on AI processing imagery? And he said, oh, it's pretty good, you know. You know, for a chest x-ray, it's, like, really accurate, and it picks up a lot of stuff. Yeah. But it still misses some stuff. Yep. And But if it gets to 80% of them and I have to do 20 you know, I'll take it because, you know. Yeah, or if or if 80% more people can get access to a chance of that being found because there's only so many radiologists looking at charts and you can scale that out is the other way to think about it. But 100%. And and he was saying, like, you know, from a from a job security point of view, he doesn't feel less secure, he feels more secure because he's adopted, he's using it, and, and he knows, already knows what he has to do to compensate for it. Yeah. Um, so it, it goes back to the co-pilot thing. I think it's, you know, 
it's a partnership, much as we have yeah. used that. Yeah. So d- anyway, tell me what's going on in your world. What's what, what are you excited about at the moment? Well, value is very exciting for me. So obviously we have rebranded, well, Digital Workspace Personal Stay, because it's still a great platform and we get a lot of good guests and we talk about stuff that I still care about a lot. So it's Heather and, and, and Catherine who's, who's joined us recently. Uh, but value is the, the thing. And it's very much along the lines of what, what you're, you're doing. Uh, so we have, well, the community thing is going to be a new thing. that That's recently become a, a thing and that's value execs. Uh, and that's a lot of CTOs, CIOs that are looking for opportunities to help on a, on a part-time basis as a fractional, you know, businesses. And and it could be startup, it could be, you know, businesses that are looking to pivot, uh, or it could be the enterprise. And it was actually an interesting thing, just, just going down this one for a little bit. I was, someone said to me, oh, but fractionals are only for startups and for small businesses looking to to grow. And I said, well, not really, because if you think about it now, and it was to your point earlier about how fast things move. If you are in an organization and you need advice on how to bring machine learning into your ecosystem, you could go and find a big consulting firm or a consulting firm to come and help you. Or you could tap the shoulder of a CTO, CIO equivalent or, or C-level person that you know from your network who could come in and help you coach and guide and, and reorganize before you bring those consultants in. So there's still, a, I think there's an option there too. Yeah, no, definitely. I think I think you're right. I mean, you look at the, the proper consulting, I guess, as opposed to selling big consulting projects, like the idea to come in and provide some expertise is, on a part-time basis but there's a win in both directions there because they're getting visibility of another organization another use case um absolutely i think there'll be more and more of that and it's really interesting to do it cross customer so we do um service owner roundtables and we bring together different verticals and that's always interesting because you're bringing someone in healthcare with someone in legal with someone in pharma and being like oh we solved it this way we solved it that way so getting beyond your immediate vertical is really interesting as well and that's a good place for fractional yeah, hundred percent. And and you know, a lot of the people that I'm talking to are at that stage of their careers where they've built up multi-industry uh, or multiple vertical knowledge. Yep. And, and they've seen a lot of this transition that we we're experiencing, you know, from from a big organization or a small organization point of view. And they just want to share that knowledge. They just want to help. You. And look, I mean, there's a commercial angle to it too. Like, don't get me wrong, no one's doing it for free per se because everyone has to pay their bills. But, you know, the opportunities are, are there to help somebody else. And, and that's why we're sort of positioned as, as, as stepping on the shoulder of giants because you don't have to go and learn that stuff because you can talk to someone who's got the expertise and you're not going to pay them the full salary or the full wage. You pay them fractionally, which yeah. So, yeah, there's and, also a whole mentorship part to that, which is beyond just the knowledge, which is they, they've done it before in a different place. And that, that the people working with them get value from that relationship as well as just the, the knowledge and the insight. Yeah. And we're just looking at, you know, from, from a value point of view, we're looking just to connect. We're not we're not really looking at the getting involved in the commercial agreements or anything like that. And some guys are willing to do it for equity, like a startup, they'll do equity or instead of yeah. paid and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's a new thing that that's going to be I'm pushing out that at the moment. Uh, and then the, the core things that I've been focusing on, obviously the advisory work that I do, um, helping com- customers find value in their, their digital transformation projects, so either when they're still planning and thinking about what to do, uh, or they've bought something or they've run a project and they're like, we're not seeing any value out of this, then I come in and help them to to figure that out. And so there's still that that consultative thing that, that I do, which I love. Yeah, we, we, we saw it before. I mean, that's a never-ending problem, isn't it? People spend, yeah. you know thousands or millions on projects and they're like it hasn't quite turned out the way we expected and often vendors are very excited to sell you the latest thing but where was what, what was the original use case what was the roi driving the value out of projects and as the people get a little bit more cost conscious economics wise there's more focus on that and, and all 
I see this a lot in the M365 space. We've already bought this stack. Yeah. We're not using half of it. How do we drive the value of what we're already subscribed to, we're already paying for? Yeah, and I mean, Microsoft's a great one for that because there's, there's so much stuff in there. So many different products, so many slants in a project. Like, which one is the right one to use? I don't know. Is it Logic Apps? Is it, is it Power Automate? I don't know. You know, it, it's, it's some of that stuff. And then this is where the, the SaaS product comes in, which we've built as well. And that's going to be, that's we're launching that now if anyone's interested. So this is taking the, the, the methodology that we use and allowing, well, giving the, the ability for people to use it themselves. So how do you prioritize the work? How do you pick up on the scenarios you want to address? How do you calculate the value? How do you, so from the beginning, like, like building your business case to the end where you've now run the project or, or through the project, you're comparing the whole time on what your value driver was and how are you tracking. So that's that's the part that I'm when I say most excited about, but that was the dream from you know, Yeah, taking it from a from a consulting based engagement to a, a framework and a system. That's really exciting. Yeah. And then we've got the you know, the little bit of training that goes with that about what's the methodology, what are the things that we think are useful skills for people to have. So we've got about nine little courses that are, are going to come out now. Um, so it's this whole little ecosystem of value, and then I was. Looking who's at, the Who's the person that's for? Like, what's their role? What's their What's their goal? So, I I, I see it as the the consultant person or or company that is that has got a customer and they need to help them with an initiative to find value. So that so they're planning, uh, they're tracking, and they're realizing the value. Um, so that could be a, a and the consultant could be a a one person business or it could be a, f- a few people whatever it is and then you would get into a big organizations i also see it for the system integrator the managed service provider someone who's doing custom success someone who's doing pre-sales where they are dealing with the client in fact i've got an email that you just opened up on my thing before we started call where the guy's got a deal it's a, it's a six-figure deal he's asking me like how do we do a value uh, pitch for this yeah and and it's you know that that that's really really smart because also your one of the biggest problems at the moment is people get sold things they don't execute on them properly and then twelve months later because everything's SaaS right that they're like oh well we're not we're not going to renew this because we're not seeing the value we thought we would or we're going to switch to the next SaaS or the next SaaS so helping yeah. your customer on that journey from pre-sale to custom success and having a framework for it is really smart yeah and that and that's exactly where so so that's the originally i was trying to sell it to the customers the actual big enterprises and one of the guys that i spoke to said no you've been silly because that that sales cycle is going to be so long so that's why we're now focusing on on the sort of consultant um persons i mean a customer can come buy it you know yeah if they want to and 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 that's the, this is where the, the ecosystem works quite nicely because we will have a partner model and we'll drive primarily through partner but you could through the system request a fractional so the, the value exec, or you can request the advisory person. And and for the for the person who's using the platform, that's a that's a free transaction. Just tell us what the problem is. Yeah, we'll find them, come and help you. And then the commercial thing, you know, we'll figure it out as we go because we just want people, you know, to get to get the value they're looking for. Yeah. Um. So yeah, very exciting. Um. So that's really cool. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah. So you, you, you've had the same fun I have of uh, all the joys of platform building and uh, developers and all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it, we've, we've got some good guys. Uh, they've done some great work and we've been using a product, uh, a low code, no code product called Bubble. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've heard of that. Which which we've built in really, you know, really quickly. I mean, there's some there are some nuances and, and that, but th- that's always going to be your trade off when you go low code, no code. Yep. But, you know, I can't, you know, if, if you'd asked me a year ago, what would this thing look like? 
and I had to have built it from scratch or through a platform the normal way, you know, two years later, we'd probably be still building it. Um, yes. You know, now we, here we are, it's, it's almost ready. Well, it's, it's in pilot with a few customers already, so it's, so it's been used. So when I say it's almost ready, it's, lit- it's literally the, like, the, the last things like, how do you log a support case? How do you add a feature request? It's yeah. that we're have, a, have a look at intercom intercom is amazing that's what we use for our support ticketing and chat it's it's so awesome i can can't speak highly of that uh, more highly of that product it's great yeah we use that at hilos i'm very impressed with that uh we're using hubspot at the moment but yeah intercom is always on my list it's one of my go-to yeah we we, we need some stuff with hubspot it, the pricing scales really quickly on that if you want the bells and whistles that, that was another thing where yeah. We were like, oh, this is good. And then we're like, oh, we want API access. They're like, oh, it's a trillion dollars. I'm like, great, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we've we've had that challenge. So we're giving it the we're giving HubSpot a year. But I think I bought it last year, December. And we've looked at a few others. And and I've been impressed with with the likes of like Zapier, for example. They are just building out some of the most interesting things. So for example, yeah. I, I used to use Notion as my like if I was going to do something, it would go to Notion instead of the yeah. table. And then I would kick a workflow from Notion. They've built that in that that table thing now exists in Zapier. So I wouldn't be surprised in X number of months because I think it's that. Oh, close. Zapier becomes the, the the product as well as the connector. It, yes, I think it takes over a certain space of product. Yeah, Notion's interesting. I use Notion a lot. Like it's a bit of a challenge because it's a a blank canvas, so you can spend as much time building your system as executing your system, which is one of the challenges. We went through. We used Monday for a while. Now we're using ClickUp. Um, like none of them are perfect, but ClickUp has a really good mobile experience. So we're quite impressed with that. Yeah. So this, and this is the new thing. So when we built the Value Workspace, which is the SaaS product, we didn't want to get into the whole project management side of things, but you kind of have to because you're doing governance. In a, in yeah. a so we built our our version of trying to keep it as simple as possible. And one of the things that, that we don't have, which I think we'll have to do, is the mobile experience at some point. But I don't. Again, I, I would rather integrate to to something else that does the, the project management piece. Yes. And, and all that yeah the api coverage on those tools is really good so in theory you could pump your actions tasks follow-ups out to that third-party system planner monday click up whatever that might provide more value to the end customer because they're already living in that world rather than having to check your tool yeah yeah exactly and the stuff we're focusing on is is more on the on the generate the the value realization and predictive piece of that which is a whole different discussion but it's exciting We're, we're seeing uh I'm seeing a lot of it on LinkedIn, funny enough. People looking for these sorts of solutions. And I get a lot of messages there. And and I just think it's a case of of finding well, for, for the users looking for it is is finding the, the, the different scenarios that that help us to 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 close our problems. Because that's really the trick is is what are all those scenarios to, and how do you solve them? Yeah, it's actually it, it, the, your approach is widely applicable. So it's finding the the right use cases that are commercially make sense for the customer, for the supplier, like you can drive a result. And the other thing is driving a result in a time frame because everybody wants things yesterday. So like being able to show customers, we did this thing with Salesforce or Trello or whatever it is, the, the organization had invested. Now they're seeing value out of it. And this was the framework. I can apply that to your project that's slightly different, but the, the fundamentals are the same. What did you want it for? How do we drive the engagement, the activity, whatever it may be? It's a, uh, yeah, it's a really exciting space. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, as you say, it gets me up early in the morning and it keeps me up late at night. So great. So, so with your new business, I mean, do you want people to go to Empowering Cloud or do you want them to go somewhere else just to have a look? 
Yeah, if they're if they're interested in Microsoft Teams and modern work, if they head to empowering.cloud, um, they can log in for free with LinkedIn or an email address. And there's a whole bunch of say, free content out there from MVPs, NCMs, people in the community. So our whole goal is to keep you up to date on that Microsoft modern work experience. Questions or feedback, hit me there on the on the forums or the intercom. And yeah, if it's if it's Microsoft partners or vendors or OEMs who want to train their teams and kind of drive that through, then there's a conversation there too. But yeah, I'd love people to check it out and uh, always looking for feedback. Super. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast. It was great to catch up. Yeah, really nice to catch up. Cheers, Ron. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.